Well, I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where you're waiting for test results from medical tests. I know most of you over the age of 30 probably have, and some of you under the age of 30 maybe haven't yet been in that situation. Earlier this year, around February, I was laying down with Zoe, our two-year-old, and I kind of lay there and wait for her to fall asleep, and if I try to get up, she grabs for me, and so it's a nice time that I just get to lay there, think about my life and try to process things and pray. I was laying there one night, and I felt this little um, growth thing on my forearm. And I thought, well, it's probably like a pulled muscle or something. It's surely going to go away. So, you know, we just kept night after night. About three months later, the thing is still there, and it's quite a bit bigger. And, uh, and it was a time when I just felt like my energy level was kind of low, and I couldn't figure out why. I was getting more sleep than ever, but I was tired. So we finally decide, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor, get this thing checked out. So he looks at it and uh, right away just orders a, like a basic blood test. And that blood test comes back and I get a, a call from the doctor's office and they said, um, hey, you know, we need you to come back in because your, your white blood cells are kind of freaking out. Your uh, lymphocytes, you've got four different kind of white blood cells. And the, this one you got is really high and this other one you've got is really low and and um, so, so I go back in, and, and they're like, you know, with the bump, where it is, it's right by a bunch of lymph nodes. You've got like hundreds of lymph nodes, so don't worry. But um, with it being by a lymph node and your lymphocytes being really high, you know, it's a small chance, but those are kind of signs of like lymphoma, cancer of the blood. And uh, so I ended up going down to this uh, cancer center down in Gilbert. And just so you guys know now, you know, everything is okay right now. So I don't want you guys in a panic. But I want to talk about that moment when you're waiting for test results. Uh, because I went down there and they run all my blood work again. And sure enough, the, the numbers are still off. And uh, so then they, they uh, call me in for a biopsy. So Mel goes down there with me on a, a Friday. And this was back in, in July. And... Uh, and I, I get in there and, um, you know, they, in a biopsy, they're like, do you want to be put out or stay awake? I'm like, well, normally I'd say put out, but for whatever reason, I'll, I'll stay awake, you know? So, so you're hearing them like chomp little bits of your body out with this machinery, right? And then um, I, I remember really well, I'll never forget this moment, because right after, you know, they kind of bandaged me up and Mel and I went to this little restaurant because it was about lunchtime. And at this little restaurant, about two miles from the cancer center, this middle-aged guy walks in. I mean, he must have only been in his 50s, but he has a walker, and he's just so weak, and his family's with him. And they all just have this kind of look of shock on their faces, that they, they kind of know he's not going to be around. And you can tell this guy's just all out of energy, and we're so close to the cancer center, it's obvious what it's for. Mel's up ordering our food, and I'm sitting there, and like a normal male, I'm just like holding the tears in. I'm not going to let them out, you know, watching this guy and, and starting to think, you know, uh, what if, you know, what, what would Mel do? What would Jack and Zoe do? What would, what would Cornerstone, what would the future look like uh, if when we hear back from these, it's not good? And of course, you know, the biopsy was on a Friday, so you have to wait through the weekend because the uh, pathologists are not working over the weekend. And, and then you finally get that news and you wait and you wait. And again, we're just praising God that it came back, that there's no cancer there. It wasn't a lymph node. It was just some other uh, benign, uh, harmless tumor there. So uh, we're just praising God 
for that, and my white blood cells are kind of uh, coming back. They're not quite where we want them, but they're really good. I feel good. I feel uh, better, especially in the last two or three weeks. In fact, we went camping over the weekend, which is exhausting, and I'm up here. So I'm obviously doing fine. But do you know that feeling when you're, you're looking out into the future for test results or to hear back from a job interview? I know sometimes I can worry about the future. Sometimes I fear for the future. And, and I bet you can relate to that. We all deal with the uncertainty of the future. We all deal with it, and it's normal. Maybe you're dealing with it right now, waiting for some test results to come back, or waiting for a job you interviewed for to hear back. Or maybe you, you're projecting out into the future, and you're, you're wondering, how's this child going to turn out? How's this grandchild going to turn out? How's this thing going to go with my business or with the company that I work for? Is that house going to sell? I really need that house to sell. Is What's going to happen to my marriage? What's going to happen to my spouse? We all deal with the uncertainty of the future. And we deal with it in different ways. Some of us worry. Some of us fear. Some of us overcompensate by overplanning. You know, planning for the future gives us this, this false sense that we can control it. If we just plan enough, if we have a backup plan for every backup plan for every backup plan, then, then we'll be okay. Here's what I've realized. We launch our strength out into the future where we cannot live, and it leaves us depleted for today, the only place we can live. We all do this in different ways, whether it's by worrying or over-planning or fearing or just talking about the uncertainty with people around us. We, we kind of launch our emotions out there into the future. And I don't know if you've ever seen those little sticky traps for like mice. They're, they're these, these, like it's an industrial strength glue and they must mix sugar in with it or something. And so the, the, the mice or the rats, they go and they step in the thing. And I guess it's supposed to be a little more humane than a trap that squishes them. But I don't know if it is because then they starve to death, right? So we'll let PETA sort all that out, all right? But the, the point is, you know, sometimes the future is like that. We venture out there into the future and, and we do so with good motives because we've got legitimate needs legitimate worries, legitimate things to plan for. And we venture out there into the future and, and we kind of get our little paws stuck in the future. And, and, it, and it leaves us with less energy and less strength for today. It leaves us maybe a little bit on edge as we're going around the house and, and our kids or our spouse is like, what is the deal with you? Well, my, my paws are trapped in the future. God must have known we'd struggle with this. He must have known we all struggle with this because he gives us a great solution to this dilemma. In a sigh, in a kind of breath of relief, God tells us this, you don't have to control tomorrow because your father is already there. He's already in tomorrow. And he's not only there waiting for you, but he's there providing enough. For you. So, you know, whatever that thing is that you tend to venture out into the future about, your Heavenly Father, He's already in that situation. Every blood test that I went in and they drew more blood, that biopsy when I went into that surgery room, He was already there and He was already providing 
enough. God knows better than we do that we can't go off and live in the future. We just don't have that capacity. And when we try to, it leaves us so depleted. He knows that and he loves us. And so he tells us, you don't have to do that because I'm already there. Relax. The future thing, that upcoming thing that you're so worried about, I'm already there and I'm already providing enough for you. Jesus talked about this a lot. Uh, He'd say things like, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. And he'd say things like, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble of its own. And whenever Jesus would talk like this, he would tie it back to the heavenly father. He'd say things like, don't you know that your heavenly father is looking out for you? Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. He provides for them every day. They're not stressed out about tomorrow. And he loves you so much more than those birds in the air or those flowers in the field. Over and over, Jesus says, you don't have to worry about tomorrow because your father's already there. He's already providing enough for you. And that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Back in July, back when I was going through these tests is when we started this series on the Lord's Prayer. And we started with our Father, the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. And I started, I changed up our sermon schedule because I just needed that. I needed to know who my Father was at that time. And it's, it's one of those truths in Scripture that I just can't get enough of. I can't ever fully soak up enough of really understanding that my Father's actually good that I can actually trust him more than I trust myself, that I don't need to take the controls of my life from him because he loves me more than I love myself. He's looking out for me. And yes, I'm traveling through a broken world, a fallen world where I will get sick, where bad things will happen because I'm not in heaven yet, but he's taking me there to a place where there are no troubles and I can trust him on the way. And we started this series by just soaking ourselves in our Father. In asking ourselves, when you think of God the Father, do you think of your dad? Do you think of some authority figure in your past? Do you assume that he works that way? That he's fed up with you? That he's unconcerned about you? That he neglects you? Do you assume that? Most of us do. And we have to challenge ourselves to look at at God's word and say, God, I want to know you for who you say you are. That's how Jesus starts this model prayer. This very short prayer that he gives us is our Father So we align our identity with him. And then we align our will with his. God, your desires be done in my life, not mine. And then last week, we learned the simplicity of aligning and asking. After you've aligned your identity and your will with God, you ask him. You you say, God, today I need bread. Today I need forgiveness. Today I need you to help me forgive others. Today will you protect me from the enemy who tempts me? Will you protect me from my own foolish nature, which tempts me? In the original language, the Lord's Prayer is not some big, religious, spiritual-sounding thing. It's just a list of daily needs. My Father in heaven, you're exalted. I'm your child. Thank you today. Let your desires be done in my life and in this world. Give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my debts as I forgive those who have debts against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. That's it. It's a very short prayer. And today we're looking at this. Give us today our daily 
bread. What does Jesus mean when he says daily bread? I grew up and my parents had this little devotional book called The Daily Bread. Is he talking about that? Like, give us today our daily bread. I mean, because I've been to bakeries and I've seen rye bread and sourdough bread and pumpernickel bread. I've never seen daily bread. You know what? Jesus, know your God and you know everything, but do you know your breads? You know, what's, what is this daily bread stuff? Well, Jesus' original hearers, they would have known exactly what this is, and I want to make sure that we know. So I'm going to tell you the story of daily bread, the story behind daily bread. It's in Exodus chapter 16, if you've got a copy of God's Word with you. And if you don't, we've got free ones in the lobby on your way out. We'll also have it on the screen so that you're not in the dark. The story of Exodus is the story of a great escape. God's people, the Israelites have been in Egypt, and things started off well in Egypt with Joseph, who was number two to the Pharaoh. But after a while, uh, the Egyptians started to put down the Israelites, and eventually the Israelites became slaves. And at this point, in the story of their escape, or exodus, the Israelites have been slaves for 400 years. 400 years of slavery. And that's when God calls out Moses, who was born as an Israelite, but raised in Pharaoh's palace. And God kind of uses Moses' unique life circumstances to create a leader. And then God supernaturally does these miracles, the plagues on Egypt, because Pharaoh won't let go of his slave labor force. So God starts to send these plagues and one by one kind of break Pharaoh's fingers loose until finally Pharaoh says, get out of here, Israelites. And this entire nation, at least a million people, they flee on foot through the desert. God miraculously parts the Red Sea. And here we are about 30 days later, maybe a little bit more, but about 30 days later, and God's people look out into the future. Okay, all their needs for today are met just like all their needs yesterday were met and the day before. But as they look out into the future and all they see is desert, literally, they start to panic. They start to worry. They start to try and plan, but how can we plan? How can we, what what are we going to do in the desert? So here we find God's people. Let's start in verse 2 of Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, God's appointed leaders. By the way, when you find yourself in a desert, because a desert is a common theme in Scripture, when you find yourself in a desert, you can be sure of two things. You can be sure, first of all, that it is not your end. Okay, God takes his people through deserts. He doesn't abandon us in deserts. So when you find yourself in a desert in your life, you can be sure this isn't the end. God's taking you somewhere. And here's the second thing you can be sure of when you find yourself in a desert. In the desert, you can come to know God like never before. In the desert, you can get to know and trust God and learn his nature and his character like you never can in that green valley, (laughs) in that meadow pasture with the running waters. You know him in one way there, but you get to know him in a whole different way in the desert. Verse 3, the Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat 
and ate all the food we wanted. Now, this is probably not true. They were slaves. They probably did not eat all the food that they wanted. They probably did not eat meat very often, definitely not the best of the meat. There were a whole lot of Egyptians eating all of that, okay? But do any of you ever have a memory like that where sometimes when you look back, you think, oh, back when we lived there, things were so great. Or back when we went to church there, things were so great. Back when I worked there, things were so great. Sometimes I'll say something like that and Mel will be like, "Uh, actually, John, I don't think you remember what you were like then. You were kind of complaining about the same things you're complaining about now. So they say, you know, we used to have all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out in this desert to starve this assembly to death. Now, as the people are saying this, they, they are living, right? They've had enough food for now. It's not that they don't have enough for today. It's that as they look out into the future, their worry is taking away their strength from today, taking away their trust from in God for today. They look out in the future and they panic that their needs aren't going to be met. Now, this is a legitimate need, right? And the things that drag you out into the future, whether it's worrying about your kids or your health or your retirement or your finances or your spouse, those things that drag you out in the future, they are legitimate needs. It's a legitimate need that you have. It's a legitimate need that they had, but it was an unrealistic worry. It was an unrealistic worry because they didn't just want enough for today. They wanted like a Costco quantity of food. And and, and God knows, how are you going to travel through the desert with Costco shopping carts, right? How are you going to travel through the desert? You've already got your tents and whatever livestock you have and, and your family. You really don't want five years worth of food supply. It would really be a best case scenario if every day when you woke up, there was just enough for today. So that's what God decides to do in verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. By the way, you know, sometimes people look at the miracles in scripture and they say, oh, that's just, there's no way. What do you realize? I mean, I was reminded when we camped this weekend, every morning God rains down dew. Even in Arizona, one of the driest states in the country, you wake up in the morning and there's dew. I mean, so God, he rains down water every day. So how hard would it be for the same God to rain down bread? Okay, so he says, I'm going to rain it down from heaven. And the people are to go out when? Each day. Not once a month you go out and get enough for the month or once a week you get enough for... But no, each day they're to go out and gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. The, the heart of God is this. Do you want, what do you worship? Do you worship knowing that you have enough for the future or do you worship me knowing that I will provide for you in the future? Your greatest need isn't tomorrow's provisions. It's me, God says, and I'll never leave you or forsake you. Let's skip forward to verse 16. So Moses relays this to the people. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Not a homer, but an omer. Now, an omer is about a tenth of a basket. So I could have measured that out. I should have brought that up here for you to see. But it's enough food for a day. It's enough for you to have a breakfast and a lunch and a dinner. 
And, you know, this wouldn't be bad for us today if God said, here's your food for the day, don't eat any more, might, might be okay. Let's go to verse 19. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. In other words, you don't hoard, don't stockpile, because God's trying to teach you something right now. Verse 20, however... And we tend to be like, oh, those Israelites, right? But we do the same thing. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till the morning. But what happens when they wake up in the morning? Hey, I don't have to go out and gather food. In case God didn't show up and provide today, it's okay. I've got a little stockpile here under my pillow. And what's that smell? It's full of maggots. And it begins to smell. You know, it's like everyone's in the camp. There's all these tents around. And they're like, What's that smell coming from Jethro's tent, you know? What's that smell? And Jethro's like, it's my food. I I promise it's my food. So God gives us these clear instructions to not worry about tomorrow, to not store up. Why? Because he's going to be there tomorrow. When you wake up tomorrow, God will be there. And he provides again. Despite those clear instructions, right? Some of them take more than they need. And what do they end up with? Maggots smelly rot. One time Mel had this thing of potatoes. I don't know why she puts potatoes in the garage instead of in the house. There must be some reason for this. Maybe they last a long time. But they don't last forever, okay? Because there was this bag of potatoes and, you know, with the kids and the cars and somehow they got, like, buried. And eventually I'm out in the garage, sweeping out the garage. I'm like, what is that smell? I think a, a lizard or a rat, something died in here. And so I go on a smell hunt, you know, and I find this bag of these nasty potatoes, okay? So can you imagine, you know, you wake up in your tent and that's what you're greeted by. And God almost warns us, he says, when you try to get tomorrow's provision today, it smells. It's, it will stink, <laughs> Sometimes you encounter people like this. They're so consumed with if they have enough for retirement. Or they're so consumed with a child that they're worried about. They're just so worried that, I mean, you can smell them coming. And you feel bad for them. They're just so overloaded with the cares of tomorrow. Even though today, really, their kid's doing okay. And they've got food in their stomach and they have a roof over their head. But, but, but tomorrow they start to try and stockpile and it just starts to smell. Verse 21, each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed. So these hoarders learned after a while. We don't have to hide it under our pillow and wake up with maggots because every morning God shows up. Every morning he's there. And this goes on. This becomes a lifestyle and God's people, listen, by, by stepping out in obedience and trusting God, even those people who had been hoarding, eventually they had to realize, okay, tonight I'm not going to hoard. Tonight I'm just going to try going to bed and seeing if there's actually manna there. I'm a skeptic, but they go to bed, they wake up, God's there. Wow. That's how they learn, is by stepping out in faith, by obeying. And everyone starts to gather just as much as is needed. And then it kind of disappears after everyone's got enough. Verse 35 tells us that this goes on for 40 years. The Israelites ate manna 40 years. Until when? Until their time in the desert was done. 
until they got to the land that God had promised them. And then now they're going to have vineyards. They're going to have plenty for the future. And, you know, some of us will go through seasons of life where we have plenty for the future. But, but the thing we need to understand is the true promised land for us is heaven. Because our bodies are going to break down. No matter how much we stockpile, no matter how much we hoard, eventually we're going to realize, I don't have enough health for the future on earth. I don't have enough peace for the future on earth. That's okay. Ask for enough for today. Ask for enough for today because your father's already in the future providing for you. And his promised land is a whole lot better than a place where you have a vineyard and a flock. Remember Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's already there preparing for you, providing enough. And every day through the desert, he's going to provide enough. So think about this. This isn't one or two days that they wake up and there's bread out there. This is 14,600 days of waking up and you don't have to worry about where to get your food because for the last however many years, it's always been there and it's still there. And you don't have to take more than you need for today because you know that tomorrow, God's already there providing enough. And think about this. Some of the babies, some, some of the Israelites who were little babies when this started are now having midlife crises, right? They're 40 years old. Some of these little babies now have gray hair. All they've ever known is bread that God provides from above. So now you know the story of daily bread. When Jesus says, align yourself with the Father, remind yourself who you are. Align your will with his and say, God, I want your desires in my life. I trust you more than myself. Ask with confidence because you're his child. Ask specifically and really You just need to ask for today. You don't need to worry about tomorrow because your father's already there and he's already providing enough for you. Put it this way, daily bread is looking daily to God to provide enough for today. Daily bread is looking daily to God to provide enough for today. I wonder, have you done that today? That thing out in the future that you are worried about or planning for or fearful of. Have you gone to your father today and just said, you know, father, I realize I'm not capable of carrying the stress of the next hundred days of my life or 10 years of my life. I have a hard enough time carrying the stress of today. But God, today, will you give me peace about this situation? Today, will you give me the money that I need to eat and pay the bills that are due today? Today, will you give me patience with my spouse? I don't see how this marriage is going to work out, but will you give me the strength for today? And will you work in my spouse's heart today? I think we have a hard time visualizing camping in the desert and waking up and going out and gathering bread. I know if we were in that scenario that a lot of us would be those hoarding stockpilers who end up with the maggots and the the rotting manna in our tents until we learn God's really there tomorrow. One time I tried to visualize this in our context as cash. To visualize it as waking up in the morning, opening your front door, and your front yard is just covered in about two feet of cash. 
and God says, take enough for today. What would we do? (laughs) We'd probably take a little more, right? But after a while, after maybe two or three years of it, and all the cash that we've stashed under our pillows full of maggots and stuff, and we learn that doesn't work, but it's, we don't have to because every morning when we open the door, it's there. And, and you start to realize, you know, today I only spent $46. I didn't need $2 million today. I only needed breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, and, and you wake up one morning and it's like, well, you know, how much do you need today to eat? What bills are due today? And, oh, you know, Johnny needs a new pair of shoes. Okay, go ahead, take. There's plenty. But just take what you need for today. Now, it's not just our money, it's our peace. Imagine a front yard full of peace. It's our health. God, I'm so worried about my health. Well, you know, How's this test going to come back? Well, Lord, I know you're there. When it comes back, you'll be there. And whichever way it is, you're going to be with me and you're going to provide enough grace and enough strength. But Lord, today, I'm here and breathing and, and you love me. Will you give me the strength today? So daily bread is looking daily to God. And I guess that's my question. Have you asked today for your daily allotment? Where you're worried about the future, have you asked, God, I, I need some peace today. I need enough peace to get through today. Lord, I I need help in my marriage. Lord, enough for today. Lord, my kids, I, I I, I pray for their future. I pray that they'll love you, that they'll serve you, that you'll get a hold of their hearts. And Lord, today, will you just, will you work in their hearts today? Daily bread is looking to God daily. And it's also this, daily bread is total confidence that God will provide again tomorrow. Trusting that God is already in tomorrow, already providing enough. How does that relate to your situation? How does that relate to your life? The job change you're thinking of, the financial worries... How how does that relate to your life? He's going to give you enough today and he'll be there again tomorrow to provide enough. Well, for Israelites traveling through the desert, the main thing that they wanted to control about the future was their food. And that's a pretty natural thing. But here's my question. What is the bread in your life? What is it that you've been wanting to stockpile or hoard? What about tomorrow are you trying to control? There's nothing sinful with having a 401k or getting your house paid off as you approach retirement. There's nothing sinful about some wise planning. But the question is, what what do we worship? What are we looking to to meet our needs? Are we actually looking to God every day or have we gotten so reliant on that money that we've stored up that we're not even really asking God to meet our daily needs because they're all met by the thing that really has our worship. See, that thing out in the future that you worry about or fear for or plan and prepare for, God, your Father, cares about that thing. 
and he cares about you and he cares about those needs. Your aging matters to him. The pain we feel when our bodies are sick and we can tell they're breaking down, that matters to him. And he's already on the other side. Even, even when we get to death and the, the future is that I know I'm not gonna live for more than another week or month or year. It's okay. He's already in that future providing enough. And the people who've lived every day knowing that tomorrow he's got enough, tomorrow he's got enough, when they get to that final transition where you leave this earth, they're some of the most peace-filled people. I remember a gal from our church family who's with the Lord now. She was in her 80s. And I remember sitting with her. You know, the, the mouth gets so dry when you get to the place in your dying process that you're only breathing and you don't have enough strength to swallow. So, so you kind of put ice cubes there. You know, you kind of like dab some ice cubes there to try and lubricate the person's mouth. But she had told me all, before all that that her favorite verse was Jeremiah 29, I think it's 31, for I know the plans I have for you. Not to harm you, but to prosper you. I have good plans for you. And she knew that. And she knew that that didn't mean she'd never have suffering in this life. She knew that it meant she'd be carried out of this life. <laughs> and, and as she laid there just enough energy to breathe, there was such a peace in her spirit. And the one thing she'd ask is, John, will you keep reading that verse to me from John Jeremiah 29? Well, what's your bread? What is it that you want to stockpile for the future? Are you trying to stockpile health? Are you trying to stockpile resources? Trying to stockpile how your kids will turn out or peace? Whatever it is, your father cares and he's already there. So I want to invite you to try this for the next three days. Just for three days, starting this afternoon, try this for three days. When tomorrow comes knocking... When uncertainty whispers in your ear, when speculating about how a situation might turn out, remind yourself this, I don't have to control tomorrow. I don't have to control tomorrow because my father, who's good and loves me and cares for me, he's already there and he's providing enough. Forty years, the Israelites wandered through that desert. They had all sorts of ups and downs, but they never starved. You won't starve in your desert either. So the next time that your mind wanders to that empty office or that empty house or that grave site or that cancer ward, when your mind wanders there, picture your heavenly father sitting there because he already is he's already there and you can talk to him and if you're like me it'll sound like this oh lord today i do need my daily bread today i do need your daily provision in all these areas and lord today i also need you to help me to not live in tomorrow i need you to help me trust that you're already there and you tell me to ask specifically, so I'm asking specifically for that. When tomorrow tempts you to step in the future and start worrying, fearing, or controlling, you remind tomorrow that your father's already there 
controlling and providing. Engage yourself to believe that God's out there in the future so you can be here in today because you can only ever live todays. Your life's just a collection of todays. None of us have the ability to live in tomorrow. And when we try, it leaves us drained and empty. I wonder, what would your life look like if you were totally freed from over-planning about the future? What would your life look like if you were totally freed from worrying about the future? What would our lives together look like if we were, as a people, totally freed from fearing the future? (laughs) Can you imagine if we all lived this way, how peaceful our homes would be? How peaceful our marriages would be? How many times are we on edge with the people around us and it's because we're, we're worried out in the future, we're fearful out in the future? Imagine waking up and starting every day knowing this. Before anything happens today, my father's already here and he's already provided enough for today. So it's a choice for you. you know, do you want to take God up on this offer? And and if you don't, you're welcome to stockpile food and money and you can try to stockpile peace and health, long life, you can try. And even if you smell bad from it, we'll still love you here, okay? But the good news is you don't have to do that anymore because your father's already there and he's providing enough. Back in July, I told you guys a story about Jack when he had this crazy fever and we took him to the emergency room and everything turned out fine with him. And uh, they were doing these different tests that were going fine and then a nurse told him, you're not going to like what I'm about to do to you. And Jack kind of went crazy and started spitting all over her. All right, you guys might remember that story. Well, that was like right uh, as I was either studying or teaching our father. And I remember sitting there with Jack and as a father just feeling for him. You know, he's surrounded by all these big people in these white coats, and they say, you're not going to like what we're about to do to you. Of course, he's scared. And we're just feeling for him as a father and being there with him. And then it was a few days later that I was getting my blood drawn, and I was uncertain about the future that I had. And, and my wife wasn't with me, and the kids weren't with me, and I was sitting there at LabCorp, and they're taking my blood and, I, and it was the first time I really felt scared about the future. And then I realized, my father's here with me. Just like I was there with Jack in the emergency room, he, he's right here. He's with me in this. And, and that's, I was able to kind of just hold on to that through that whole process including when I laid there and the surgeon drills down into my arm and has this thing that sounds like, remember those hole punches, you know, click, but it's about 10 times as loud. And you know every time it clicks that it's just taking out a a chunk of your body. And that's not a pleasant experience. And, And no joke, being able to lay there and know, okay, Father, you are with me. I'm gonna make it through this desert. And I'm going to know you better on the other side of it. And no matter what tomorrow holds, no matter how those test results come back, you're already there 
and you're already providing enough, enough grace, enough strength for every day. Would you pray together with me? Father, we come to you, Lord, as a room full of worries and fears and concerns about the future. Lord, you know that just like the worry for bread, the fears and concerns in this room, they are legitimate fears. They're legitimate. The things that my brothers and sisters are worried about or planning for, they are very, very legitimate. Lord, will you help us to trust that you're already there in tomorrow and that you're providing enough in tomorrow. Lord, some of us, we just need to start with that first day or two where we wake up and we walk out of the tent and we hadn't stockpiled and we see, sure enough, God did it again. There's enough for today. Lord, these next three days, will you help us in this room to start with that simple step Lord, whether it's our kids or our health or our finances or our job or our housing situation, whatever it is that's out there in the future, will you help us today to ask you for our daily needs? We ask you for enough today. And we ask you for the strength to trust that you're already in tomorrow and you're already providing enough. We love you, Jesus. We ask it all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.